This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Alright, it is Wednesday, so usually I'm just, you know, talk of the talk, doing the do on whatever it is, BC Lions, White Caps, Canucks, but today a special sit down with Rob Simpson, you see him on Twitter at SimmerPuck, you also read and listen and watch all of his stuff at VancouverHockeyNow.com. Robert, it is great to see you down at the arena, how are the boys, this rejuvenated Canucks team? They seem very chipper, don't they, Roberto? Breath of fresh air from our friend Gabby. What does he bring to the table? Like, I know everybody thinks that he's happy-go-lucky, but, I mean, this guy is pretty good pedigree as well. Yeah, well, he's a hell of a player. Uh, He was definitely a a smaller-sized, offensive-minded centerman, and and people kind of have labeled him an offensive coach, which is not necessarily, as he quickly points out, is not necessarily the case. His philosophy is very simple. When we have the puck, we go, go, go. When we don't have the puck, we go, go, go and get it. So it's uh, quick, move your feet, get going, get the puck, retain possession, and let's go. Let's score some goals and work hard at both ends. Now, we talked before that first game, of course, which was a 4 nothing shutout victory over the Los Angeles Kings, and we both picked a name. And I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn, but I said I'd be very curious to know how Brock Besser responds to having Bruce Boudreaux in house. He scores a goal. All is good. I look like Kreskin for those old enough to know who Kreskin is. And we move (laughs) onward and upward. But in this bigger picture, you know, listening to a little bit of Quinn Hughes from yesterday, listening to Elias Pettersson and passing, all of these guys seem to have proactively wanted to do more than they were getting to do under Travis Green. Now, they won't come out and directly say that, but if you can read the tea leaves, that's essentially what I'm getting from this. Is Bruce Boudreaux the kind of guy that will let players come to him and say, hey, I'd love to take a shot at this? Is he that free-spirited, I think is what I'm trying to ask. He is at the start, and he's made it pretty clear. Um, well, let's just take the penalty kill as an example, because it is yes. the perfect example. So Travis Green, I don't want to say set in his ways, but he he stuck with the units. He kind of stuck with the formula, the plan, limited number of guys, preferred the veterans, 60-something percent. Um, it's not always going to be that way. It wasn't always that way, but it wasn't working. Part of the breath of fresh air is Bruce Boudreaux comes in and says, sure, you want more ice time? You want to get special teams time? Fantastic. I'll give you a shot. If you work your butt off and you're effective, you keep going. If you don't, shut up and we'll move on. That's basically (laughs) in a much friendlier, lighter way. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, if you get the job done, fantastic. If you don't, then we move on. But you know what? I am going to give you that opportunity. He's now got a couple of sets of defensemen on the PK and he's rolling eight forwards. PD, like you go down the game sheet from last and you're looking at game sheet, the post game sheet from last game, four and over LA. It's like, oh my God, look at, look at all these guys getting chances shorthanded. So he's going to roll them 25 high pressure. None of this sit back in the, in the box, get after it, pressure the points, get after it, get off, get rid of the puck, get, get off 25 seconds, move in the next roll in the next pair, you know, just keep it going. Get as many guys an opportunity, the guys that work, stay guys that don't work out. Don't ask me again. 
Bruce in his opening press conference said he got a lot of emails and text messages from people around the league that said, quote, you have a lot to work with in Vancouver. I think we've all known that to be true. Prior to his arrival, what would you have assessed this Canucks team as? What are the Canucks? Not hard enough to play against. That's the first thing, and that's one of the top things every coach GM will say that you need to be, right? We, you and I just talked about it a couple of days ago, the Toronto Maple Leafs, regular season versus postseason. Not hard enough to play against in the postseason. The Canucks were not hard enough to play against ever. You don't necessarily have to have giant bodies to do that. You don't have to necessarily have giant bodies to be difficult to play against. He brought up the fact that in Washington, he had a pretty big group. In Anaheim, traditional kind of Western Conference thing going on when he was there, pretty big, feisty group. Minnesota, decent-sized group. In fact, I think the last conversation I had with him in person was at a rink when he was with the Wild about Jordan Greenway, the big, huge body of the high pick that they took and they were developing. They don't have that here. Their young guys are not that. Niels Hoaglander is a feisty kid, but he's not a big body. Yeah. So my next question for Gabby is, once we get a new GM, are you going to kind of say, hey, you know what? I wouldn't mind. Uh, you mind adding a little, give me a little bit of this and that in terms of maybe some bulk that can skate. But he's pointed out they're not there yet as a roster. So there's no reason why the, the units that they have right now cannot be difficult. They, they can be difficult to play against. Get after it. Work hard. Outwork your opponent. Get the puck. It doesn't matter how big you are. You can do that now. You know, it's really interesting you bring that up because that's always been a bit of a gripe for me. And I've been told that I'm old and that it's a, cha- a different game now. But I don't mind a thick body on the ice that every once in a while gets in there. I don't mind Ryan Reeves and the fact that he might score five or ten points a season. But he's just in the lineup as a mm-hmm. presence. And, you know, they had that with Zach McEwen to some extent. And then, of course, they got rid of him. And I look back and I think that would be for me, the perfect missing piece. I know you can't go out there and find a 30-goal sniper every day, but there's no reason you can't get a big body that all of a sudden, if somebody takes a run at one of your guys, yep. can actually have a presence. Is that what you're saying as well? Yeah, kind of. And, and you and I, were t- t- when we were talking about the Leafs, we were joking about Matthews getting ragdolled in the playoffs. It just happened again. Again. It just happened again. You said it, Since- and I saw it, and I said, damn it, it happened again. Right. I think it was the same day. I think it was the night after we said it. I mean, I, in the perfect world, you've got a Tom Wilson. I know he lives on the edge and sometimes goes over it. In a perfect world, you have a Matthew Kachuk. Like, you'd love to have that kind of shift-disturbing talent guy that can also score, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the closest thing this franchise has right now is maybe JT Miller, just because he does get pissed off, but he's not that kind of player. He doesn't really you know, walk the edge in terms of playing nasty and doing dirty things. In fact, there isn't that player on this roster right now. I'm looking up here in the rafters. I'm seeing number 14 smiling down on me here. Alex Burrows, his picture. Yep. So, I mean, he's, he was the kind of guy that got up. Not a big body, though. Uh, just a kind of a one of those disturbers. Anyway, you need some kind of combination of that. And right now, this roster really just kind of doesn't have that feel yet. So we look ahead now to this Vancouver Canuck team, and Bruce put it so simply. He he said, you know what? If we can get an extra win per month, we're back in the conversation. And mathematically, that makes a lot of sense. That might be a little captain optimism or captain positivity, but I mean, mathematically, this happened early enough of the season that you could still make a run if you can get hot. But is there a mark 
Is it the Olympic break where you say to yourself, okay, well, if we're within six, if we're within eight, is there a mark that a coaching staff has where they look around and they say, okay, we need to be here by then? Or is it the old Jim Benningism, just take it one day at a time? Yeah, I, and that cliche drives me bats because me it's just too. too it's too easy. And 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 Gabby's already kind of modified it, and I like that. Day one, he said, you know what? Here's how you look at it. It's not a mountain. You can't look at it as a mountain. It's too daunting. What you do is you win two out of three. And then you win your next two out of three. And then you win your next two out of three. And you win for like that for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden you look up or you look at the standings and first or second week of January and you're four points back. I mean, realistically, Rob, if you come out of that February in your late February break and you're still six or eight back, that might be a tall task. You'd, you'd, you'd want to be closer than that just because of the teams you have to hop over at that stage of the game. So it's a matter of kind of realizing this, you know, crank out a couple, try to get two out of three, try to get two out of three over and over again, if possible, and then just reel in the teams ahead of you. You know, they're tied with Seattle right now. They just took a four point game against LA. So they're four back at LA, who unfortunately for the Canucks have two games in hand, as does Vegas, but just take care of business in clumps and uh, the big picture will take care of itself. Canucks have played essentially a third of their season. I think there's a lot of room to make a run, but they're going to have to make a run. There's a great football adage. Sometimes the greatest runs are the ones that simply get you back to the line of scrimmage. And that yeah. for Vancouver right now is essentially what they're going to try to rattle off here. Rob, when you're down at the arena and you hear all of the media and all of this stuff about, you know, the media's fault and the media is too negative and the media is this and the media is that. Have you been in markets outside of Vancouver where that fan resentment towards the media's negativity is as prominent as it is here in Vancouver? Toronto is madness. Like it's, it's utter madness, but I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, you don't hear it as a topic. If you know, I understand what you're saying here as crazy as it is and as active as it is and as annoying as they can be, you don't hear quote unquote negativity of media as a topic in Toronto. It just doesn't happen. Even if the team sucks, you don't hear it. You just hear about kind of the media circus. So I guess to answer your question, no, I guess I haven't heard that before because how negative or positive the media is, is never, if not rarely a topic. I, I would just think that maybe the last two years in particular, there was a certain faction of the Vancouver fan base that started to resent the media for constantly finding the glass half empty. And that's yeah. fine. I mean, when your team misses the playoffs and when you're not there, I mean, I'm sorry, but there's negativity that follows. But I, I just wondered, like you've been to New York, you've been to Toronto, you know how Montreal's media is, and it's pretty ruthless there as well. I wondered how the fans in particular handled that type of media. That's why you need Robbie Simpson in the Vancouver hockey now, Roberto. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fresh perspective, 40 years of NHL coverage. I mean, what positive and negative? I'll bring it all to you. What do you what do what are we talking about here? What, been, what you need is a new voice. I have been telling people, Rob Simpson, like, hey, I gotta ask you, have you been approached by some of the local guys in this city to do more hits or I have not had one person ask me to do a hit. You're sitting beside a guy that's got 40 years of experience, has worked for Sirius, has worked for the NHL Network, has worked everywhere in these big markets, and you're not utilizing it. I feel like I've won the lottery, and I, you know, I try to tell that's people okay. this. It'll happen. No, yeah, I'm not worried about it. It's, it's they have their own things they have to yes, deal with. So of course. Fine. All right. Do what you got to do, boys. Yes. Let's finish up with this topic here really quickly because Vancouver Canucks getting ready for Boston. So this interview, you and I, time sensitive to the matter. If they beat Boston, 
which is a hated rival in this city mm-hmm. because of the history between these two teams. I tweeted about this about an hour ago. Does Bruce Boudreaux officially have this city eaten out of his hand if they win tonight? <laughs> yeah, he probably does. He's done a pretty good job when he when he bounced into Vancouver after having success at the AHL level in Hershey, or I'm sorry, in Washington when he had a success in Hershey, you know, really turned it around. Glenn Hanlon, I, I remember talking to Glenn Hanlon back then after a game in Washington. I'm like, oh my God, this place, this is, this team's dead in the water. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's, here's Gabby bringing a, that breath of fresh air. Same thing in Anaheim for the most part. And now the opportunity presents itself again. Hell yeah. They're going to love this guy, especially if they pick up wins. Yeah, these, but next I, couple, these next couple are, are, are going to be key. Okay, but let's be honest. The guy that comes in for the guy that's flailing usually is all of a sudden revered. Like, let's say yeah. hypothetically Canucks go three and one of their first four. Everybody, It's kind of like that old movie Hoosiers. I don't know if you ever saw it. When they got rid of Gene Hackman's character and the guy oh, yeah. says, I told you once we got rid of him, we'd start winning. I, I don't want to shine light negatively on those who have left us, but let's be honest. Bruce has walked into three of his four coaching jobs on the heels of somebody that's been struggling. And with his uh, affable personality, it's a pretty easy gel early on. But what does he do in Vancouver that maybe was a lesson learned from his time in Minnesota where it didn't necessarily go that well that makes him a better coach this time around? Ultimately, a lot of it just comes simply down to personnel, what personnel he's he's working with what general manager he's working with and, and where, where he can take it. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember back that you bring that up is what, what his start date was for that gig. I don't think that was a walk-in. No, he had, the, situation. no he had the full 82. He yeah. Had the full 82. He had the camp and everything else. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe that's the key. That's what he's learned. He said, don't <laughs> take a job. before. <laughs> don't take a job before training camp because he's had the full, you know, he's almost better on the fly uh, and he can have some fun with it. But maybe, I mean, otherwise it just comes down to kind of the personnel and the situation and how the organization is structured um, and maybe how much meddling there is, how much micromanagement there might be in terms of style of play ultimately when it comes down to it. Yeah. It's almost like more too much time to prep and to maybe control the narrative where in this case he gets to control the narrative and he gets the opportunity to be a hero well i can tell you this he's got an opportunity to be a hero here in vancouver and you look at the track record the time in washington i've just popped it up here on my screen uh in the first four years with the capitals they finished first in the southeast every year four Mm -hmm. of his five years with anaheim first in the pacific and then of course he got fired in a bubble season with minnesota which to me is almost unfair i mean i know they had a uh, a moderate season coming off a year where they missed the playoffs. So they wanted to make change, but realistically his track record is pretty damn good. Yeah. The other thing is too, the pressure, maybe it's even internal, like psychologically, because, you know, he come kind of handle comes out of the AHL for that first gig and then swaps places for that Anaheim gig. And then he got some serious bank for going to Minnesota. So yeah. Even in his own mind, it might have been like, holy crap, I'm getting paid a lot of freaking money to do this job right now. It's like, you know, who knows what kind of psyche, what, the, what that does to your psyche, knowing maybe the kind of pressure that's going on. But again, think of the personnel there. You've got, you've got a Parise and a suitor that have, that have been there all that time that were supposed to be the salvation and they never were the salvation. And they're riding out this long contract. They eventually get, eventually get kind of bought out at the end. 
um, you know, he, yeah, it was a tough spot for him. You know, it was just, I think it was just a difficult, difficult spot for him uh, personnel wise. Hey, one thing I want to bring up to you, by the way, which I find fascinating is, and a lot of this is purely public relations. So Gabby kind of leaks out just through conversation that, yeah, yeah. I've been watching Vancouver Canucks games for two, two and a half weeks now. Yes. I so, heard the same interview. Right. So yeah. this fits right in with the fact that Jim Benning was neutered uh, he wanted to fire Travis green two weeks earlier, natural thing that you would do in a hockey situation like this. We've seen it a hundred times in our lives previously. You'd be like, yeah, I guess what? I think coach is going to get fired. So he would have fired him. The trade talk he's calling around to GMs. I've talked to three of those GMs back then two weeks ago said, yeah, Brock Besser's name's out. His name was out there because Jim Benning's trying to find answers, right? His owner said, guess what chum? You're not doing it because you're going to have to go down with the ship because, and, and I get it to this degree. Think of the public relations. If Jim Benning fires Travis green, right. There's still kind of that, like, well, everybody, the fan base is going, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Wait, hold on a second here. Yep. You just signed this guy to a two-year contract. Now you're, and it's just going to, it's just going to ramp up. So he gets new. He's out. Benning was out of a job already. He was already done. It was a matter so, of riding it out. And then when the PR got really shitey with the crowd going bonkers and pits with the pits, it was like, all right, this is done. Yes. It was, it was already a done deal. So, okay. I had a friend send me an interview that Bruce Boudreaux did with Bob McCowan. And the interview was November the 24th. And the question from Bob McCowan was, are you specifically watching some of these teams that are struggling in hopes that maybe you land one of these jobs? And Bruce Boudreaux, I don't know if he showed his hand by accident, and I don't think he did. I think he's savvy enough to know, said, yes, I've been watching Vancouver specifically for the last couple of days here, and here's what they need to do. This guy was <laughs> locked in on yep. Vancouver specifically before November the 24th, which perfectly aligns with you saying that a couple of weeks ago, Jim was looking to make that move. So I would imagine yep. that those feelers to Bruce Boudreaux came out and everything was ready. So sure, Bruce Boudreaux eventually gets the job a couple of weeks later, but those wheels were in motion publicly weeks ago. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Here's the little point, I guess. The weird factor that I'm trying to make is, let's say Jim Benning does fire Travis Green two weeks earlier and does bring in Bruce Boudreaux and Bruce Boudreaux wins his first two games and Jim Benning's still the general manager. Yep. Off we go. He's still credited with bringing the entire roster in this summer. Still did all that. That work hasn't changed. If you ask me, he kind of got hung out to dry a little bit by the uh, owner because if he just, if he, if he's allowed to make that move and improve, suddenly the team starts playing well, we don't, we're not talking about Jim Benning anymore. Yes. At all. What we're talking about is, okay, now what's the next move we can make between now and the deadline to improve this hockey club that is already improved because Jim Benning just swapped out the coach. Were you at the Francesco press conference? Yes. I felt for the first time in a long time, the way that he had prepared his statement, talking about him and his family, him and his family, him and his family, that it almost looked like he was a little overwhelmed, a little remorseful. Like I could see it in his eyes. I really looked for body language. And I felt like there were a couple of times where he even paused a little bit, like almost like, holy cow, this is... This has been tough on the Aquilini family. Did you get any sense of that at all? Or am I just reading a little too much into facial expression? No, I, yeah, I think it was, 
it's obviously difficult. And the, the I don't know what the degree of sincerity is, whether it's uh, 40%, 75% or 100%. I'd like to think it's 100%. But what, regardless of what it is, sitting next to Steamer, like here's this guy who, who bleeds Canucks. It, it's difficult not to kind of take on the, the spirit of it all and be like, holy crap, this, is, this means a hell of a lot to a hell of a lot of people. And you got, you know, Stan Smeal sitting there kind of spilling his emotion to some degree about the whole matter. I think there was some emotion and some kind of pent up feelings. But again, I don't, and I don't know if there was regret. It didn't need to come to the point that it came to with that Pittsburgh game with them chanting Jim Benning, fire Jim Benning. If you were going to not let him fire the coach two weeks earlier, then get rid of him there. Why string it along two weeks and have him go through the humiliation that he had to go through? Just let him, if you're not going to let him make a trade and you're not going to let him fire the coach and bring in the guy that you're ultimately going to bring in anyway, why make him go through that? Why make him sit around and suffer through that? I guess that's my, the one point I was trying to make about Jim Benning going out. Fair enough. And unfortunately, Jim Benning's leash had gotten so short that the fans maybe didn't pick up on that the way that they could have and should. Well, of course, but you're not thinking about that. I mean, I'm just, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Thank you, man. I know you got a busy day with the guru back down at the Palatial Equity Guru Estates. (laughs) Thank you for all of your insight, man. This is twice in one week. I've called upon you far too much. Thank you for bringing us the inside stuff. And uh, let's do this again soon. My pleasure. Love the bonus Wednesday and look forward to chatting with you uh, on uh, next Monday. Thank you very much. And uh, everybody go to Vancouver Hockey. Now, by the way, exclusive today, talk to Patrice Bergeron, the Bruins captain. Now, people are going to say, oh, screw that but you know what unbelievable guy any canadian would be proud to have him as a countryman and uh, of course he won a stanley cup and a gold medal in this building you're listening to sports bar radio with rob fay brought to you by equity guru equity guru investment information for millennials and madmen